Coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Minnesota Basketball Coaching Podcast. Today we have Dylan Nauman, who is the new head coach at Monticello High School. He was my former assistant coach. Uh, so this one was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you enjoy. Newly hired head coach at Monticello High School. Dylan, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad I, glad I could make the cut on the podcast. Yeah, you know, and we'll talk about your background. Um, you know, you just had to, like, get rid of me before I finally uh, – or you had to shed the cloture weight off of your back uh, before I'd get you on. But uh, let's talk about your background, um, where you played, where you're from, where you coached, and what, what brought you to Monticello. Uh, so uh, I played my high school basketball at Malacca, um, played under Coach Techum, who was there for a couple of years. Um, actually ended up going to college being a baseball player. That was kind of my – um, my first love, kind of the, what I was best at. Um, I did get into coaching a little bit at Malacca. Uh, that was my first job. My brother was uh, ended up being, getting the head coaching job there after I was done with my undergrad. Gave me a call and said, hey, do you want to come be on staff and help me coach? And that's really how I got started. Coached there for three years, uh, did JV, varsity assistant, and then got my teaching license in that process and ended up being at a staff workshop with you. And then uh, the ninth grade job was available at that time. So I applied and got that. So I was started out at ninth grade, did that for what, three or four years. And then I was able to move up to the varsity assistant role. And I was there for the last four years. So seven years total at Princeton and then three at Malacca. So you know, 10 years total in coaching. And then, so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you no, you got it. So you, it's, you pretty much were under, you, you know, worked with three different coaches. Uh, definitely the top coach there that you mentioned, no respect, disrespect to Dustin, is, uh, is Terry Techum, right? Uh, state championship coach. Now, more recently, I don't know you had for Malacca. What were some of the big things you learned uh, playing for such, such a high level and respected and elite coach uh, in Terry? I think it's just understanding roles on teams. That was kind of the big takeaway is just, you know, if you have a role available and you buy into it, you can do really great things. Um, he, he was very polite on the podcasting that I made the most of my skills. Um, you know, I, I wasn't a very skilled offensive player, um, but I did have a role if I was going to put in the best effort defensively, understand game planning um, and just really buying into the team's philosophy. So that was a huge takeaway from him is just understanding that, you know, it takes all different roles to make a successful team. And if you really buy in and embrace that, um, you can really make the most out of your playing experience. Um, other than that, he was extremely prepared. Uh, we always just, things were scheduled out. He knew exactly what to scout, you know, what we needed to try and take away. Obviously we didn't always do that, but you know, we were very prepared as a team. So that's just something that I took away in my own coaching. Um, and you know, as well, like we just watch a ton of scout film and just try and see like, okay, what are the things that we need to pay attention to? What are some things that are just noise? So just that, that idea of buying into a role, being prepared, you know, so we never, nothing ever caught us off guard in the game. So that preparation um, and then just accountability. That was the last thing is understanding that it, it takes what it takes to, to get better and improve as a player in a team. And, you know, there's really not shortcuts, you know, you, we can't just do whatever we want out there. There's got to be some type of guiding to what you want to do to be successful as a player in a program. And you have to follow that. So those are kind of the big takeaways. I mean, he just, like I said, it was a really 
for me, it was a really great playing experience just getting to understand how he saw the game and, and how we could be successful. So we've had coaches on here who have coached their son. Um, you, for example, coach with your brother. And that's something I haven't interviewed or talked to any coach about. So talk about that dynamic of coaching with your brother uh, and, and how that worked out, how you guys didn't like, you know, bring anything you disagreed on to Thanksgiving or anything. Um, so just kind of talk about that dynamic uh, being on staff under your brother when he was head coach of Malacca. Uh, I think it's, it's different because you just obviously have more access to the head coach. You know, obviously you see him at family functions and different things, um, which, which was good. Um, it was good to have him, you know, he coached, uh, he was an assistant while Terry was the coach at Malacca as well. So he kind of got that perspective as well. Um, so I was able to just kind of, like I said, bounce ideas off of him. And it, it was good for me as a young coach because he, he gave me a good perspective on just kind of like, he wasn't overly hard on me because I, I would say I definitely wasn't a great coach when I started off. You know, I was, I was good at being competitive. I wasn't necessarily good at the coaching aspect. So he was, it was, did a nice job of being patient with me and just trying to help kind of teach me like, okay, you got to just understand more than just the X's and O's and wanting to win. Like there's also this part where there's, they're high school athletes. Not all of them are going to go play college. And you got to understand that you have to coach all the players, you know, and, and be good at connecting with all of them and not just, you know, your top tier players. So it was, a, it was good from that perspective. Um, maybe I wouldn't have benefited from someone who really would have got after me right away for, um, for just focusing on the competitive part, but, but it was, it was good experience. So. So then you transferred uh, or moved on to your coaching career to Princeton where you were, you joined my staff, right? And, um, you know, this is where maybe we'll get a little, uh, little, little teary-eyed. Uh, but for some people, right, they think Princeton basketball, like, you know, the reality is head coach gets a lot of credit. And I don't know if a lot of that is um, necessary in my situation. I don't think that I'm easy to remember. I'm tall. I have red hair. I kind of yell and bounce around during a lot during games. I you know, threw together a podcast, post um, some TikToks, right? But really, and I'll be honest, like the brains behind a lot of it the last handful of years, especially our success the last four years, um, definitely a lot of that can be, uh, most of it can be attributed to our players and to, you know, what you brought to our staff. So just talk about what your role was. Obviously, I know what you did. Um, you know, you can throw me under the bus here if you want. Don't act like just because I'm the, I'm the host here that you coach under me. Tell me what your role was. You can talk about how awful it was coaching with me and things, you know, you can roast me a little bit if you want, but for those that don't know though, what was your role? Um, we've had, we've been successful the last four years. We've had good players, but obviously you were a, a huge part of that. So talk about what you did for us and some of the things you brought to, to our program. Uh, so I did a lot of the, the live scouting that we did back before everyone had the, the huddle sharing, you know, it's, we were, we were up in seven, three A. So it was a few long scouting trips, but you know, I'd go do live scouting, watch a ton of game film, you know, type up some scouting notes and different things to look for. Uh, I'd also look at a lot of like the defensive philosophies and different things and bringing different ideas that way to try and maximize, you know, our style of play uh, at Princeton. So, and really, I, I, you, say, you say roast you, but I mean, I, I appreciated that you kind of let me bounce lots of ideas off you, you know, obviously you wouldn't take all of them, but at the same time, like I never felt like that I couldn't bring anything to you to at least like throw something out there. So that's, that was kind of my role was that defensive scouting, scouting portion of it. 
Um, and then the defensive side of the ball, as far as practices, you know, we also ran, you know, summer workouts together and different things. So, um, that was my role in terms of what I did at Princeton. So I don't know if you had anything to add, but yeah, you said it pretty lightly with your scouting. Um, like there would be, there'd be points of the season where like me and the other coaches would be like, do we need to do like a well check on Dylan to make sure he sleeps tonight? <laughs> so he doesn't know. It's actually like the first year we went to the state tournament. Like it was like, how much did you sleep? We're like, eh, maybe an hour last night. Uh, and just like, you know, we joke about, we laugh about, it. I'm not here to toot your own horn, but, or toot your horn, horn, I should say, but like, you know, you're deserving of the opportunity you got. You put in more than enough work. Um, like I said, I, I will be honest that, you know, one of the, the, most enjoyable things I've done as a coach was nominating you and um, seeing you get received as, you know, assistant coach of the year from the Minnesota basketball coach association as that award only does, does very little to show how much you actually did for our men for our program. And uh, yeah, you did a great job. And I, I, you know, I couldn't be more proud and excited for you. Obviously you're a section and a conference and now section team. So, you know, three nights out of the year, you get, you can maybe, maybe three nights, um, two nights out of the year, hope nothing but bad things happen to, your team, but the other 363, 364 days, uh, I hope only good things for the magic, but, uh, let's transition into talking about Monticello. Uh, we don't need to go down memory lane any longer <laughs> for those who have probably turned this off and like, eh, this is, this is no fun. Um, first job, what were your initial reactions? Uh, Gary Revnig, the AD at Monticello, who we've known obviously as a conference opponent calls you, offers you the job. What was your, what was your first thoughts? How did you feel? And i um, talk about some of the first steps you took, um, with the, with the new job? So I was kind of surprised at how fast everything moved. Um, you know, cause I had going into the job, you know, we saw it posted, didn't really expect it to open up. So I was kind of gathering materials and, you know, I talked to you and I said, all right, I, I think I'm going to apply for this job and, you know, applied, interviewed, you know, very shortly after got a, got a call and I was like, okay, wow. It's, it's real. Like it happened so fast. Like it was just a matter of days. It felt like things just kind of flew by. Um, so I had to talk to my wife first. She, you know, she's the one that, uh, you know, she had, she had told me, yep, apply, go for it. And there's not a decision to be made until there's a decision to be made. And, and very shortly after there was, so I'd sit down and talk and just kind of make sure we're on the same page as far as, you know, what it is for a time commitment and, and, and all that. And, and she gets to see that from an assistant perspective, but also it's different when you're actually the, the head of the program. There's a whole lot more you're involved in between extra meetings and youth, youth things. So, um, and she was very supportive of it. So, um, you know, talk to Gary and, and told him I take the job. So, and then initially after that, it was really just a matter of getting in with the players. So I had actually got hired uh, it was a couple, it was the end of the week. And then the following week they had, you know, started workouts. So I was there for the second day of workouts through the summer. Um, and just, just trying to get to know the players. That was kind of the most important thing to me is just getting in, working with the players, make sure my face was out there, getting to know the kids and see what the program is all about. Um, and then after that, I actually, you know, I did, reach out just to other people around the basketball program and just kind of talk to them and ask them, um, you know, some different questions, you know, some questions I got from, you know, listening to other podcasts and, and different books I've read. I would just kind of ask everyone the same three questions that what have you liked? What have you not liked? And what would you change about, 
um, you know, Monticello basketball, your experiences with them, and just tried to get as much information as I could about the basketball community, what people were looking for um, to help kind of get me a better understanding of, of what I was coming into. Uh, I'm going to repeat those again for that's really good stuff. I think when we people take over any job, right, if it's a teaching job, if it's a business job, if it's anything, you just want to jump in and like start making their own story a little bit. But, you know, you said you asked everyone, what do you like? What didn't you like? And what would you change? Right. And what was one of the biggest things that you you heard um, that you were looking to influence or change and put your fingerprints on? I mean, there really wasn't a lot. I mean, it was, was kind of interesting. There is no one really had any you know, major complaints or anything. It's just, there's some little things people would like to see differently. I know a lot of people, you know, really pump up the youth program and involvement in the program. So that was one thing that I, you know, I, I took like, okay, so how do we kind of do that when you're, when you're looking at what you're going to do long-term for a program, you know, that's something that, you know, obviously we could, we could change. It's really not, I wasn't looking to get like, oh, what offense should we run? You know, it was more just like what things are important to the community and to also help help reflect that in my coaching as well. Cause like you said, I, you know, some people just come in and they get going on their system, their philosophy, and that's important to me, but also there's a lot of, was your head coach, there's a lot of stakeholders. So you also have to listen to what's important to them and not that you have to do everything that they say, but you also have to be um, cognizant of it and understand where they're coming from as well. So, uh, you got a little downtime here. Obviously, season starts in a, in a couple months. You had your summer. I know you were, you know, we bumped into each other at a couple of breakdown events, uh, and you guys were playing in the summer and doing all your summer workout stuff. Uh, but one year from now, or maybe even, you know, uh, end of the school year, end of the season, we're April. You've had a couple of weeks to uh, reflect at the end of your end of your first year. What are your goals that you're looking to accomplish uh, this or next spring? By next spring, I should say. Sorry. I think it's really just getting getting kids in there that really love to be around basketball um, and just making sure that we're taking steps toward building a program identity. Um, something you and I have talked about a lot is that, you know, everyone likes to talk about culture, culture, culture. Well, that's more of a big picture thing. So at the end of one year, you know, whether we win or lost, it's not because of good or bad culture. It's because we're working on our identity. You know, so you can work on your identity every day. So if you show up to practice, you work on, okay, what is our identity going to be as a program? You know, we're going to play fast, what shots are we going to take? And then just working, working on those things. And by the end of the season, hopefully we can say, yeah, this was our style of play. This is the identity we're building as a program. And if we can do that over years, that becomes your culture. Um, so like at the end of year one, ideally we've taken steps towards building our identity as a program. So. What are you most nervous about? Um, honestly, the, the thing I, I thought about, but you don't really get until you're like back in, into doing it. Like you're in a, when you're an assistant, like it's a totally different role. Like even when I was the ninth grade coach, it's, you're running your own team, you're coaching your own team, you're calling timeouts, you're doing that in-game coaching. You, you get away from that a little bit as an assistant. So then even when I was doing some of the, the summer league stuff, which, you know, obviously it's very low stakes. It's not like, at least from how I'm handling it, there's not a lot of like, you know, I don't need to like call timeouts and, you know. You were, you were coaching your ass off. You had scouting reports. Don't lie about it this summer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I didn't need to scout too much. I felt like we played Cambridge 16 times this summer already. So, um, 
but no, it's the, the, the in-game coaching stuff, I think is, is, you know, I, I did take one time out just to kind of like recoup the kids. And I, and I swear, like it felt like 15 seconds. I was like, Holy cow, like it's done already. So just kind of being aware of some of those in-game coaching things that I'm going to have to just be aware of a little bit more of the time and score type stuff and the in-game part of it. That, that would be the part I'm nervous about, but otherwise it's, you know, 10 years, I've kind of seen a lot of coach at every level up until varsity head coach. So um, that's the only thing that, like I said, you almost get a little bit rusty when you're just in that assistant role. So when you got the job um, early June, I think second week of June, um, my phone started blowing up. Right. And it wasn't like, Oh, congratulations. One of your assistant coaches has got a head coaching job or, Oh, your coaching tree or anything like kind of sending like that or something. It was like, Oh, what do you think Monticello is going to run? And I'm looking at you, Josh uh, Ortman, uh, me and other, and other coaches. I'll throw Josh into there. Josh is a friend of the friend of the podcast. Uh, so let's talk about your offense philosophy and your defense philosophy. Uh, maybe give some Mississippi eight and section five, three, a, opponents a little insight to what the magic might be um, running this this year so talk about offense uh, what is your philosophy uh, and what do you look to and what are you looking to change and be as open or as tight to the vest as you want on your stuff uh well I mean if, yeah for the sake of the pot I should just say we're going to walk it up and run flex because there's <laughs> there's no shot clock so we're just going to sit and grind offense until we get a layup but um no and that's that's one thing too, when I talk to the players about the kind of what you like, just like change is just kind of seeing where they're coming from offensively is I tried to make it a point to not talk about like what they did in the past a ton or what they didn't like. I just tried to focus on like, how do we want to play the game? You know? And, and it's, it's, it was nice to hear that a lot of them, a lot of the kids felt the same way as me is they like to play with a little bit more pace, get the ball up quickly. Um, and, and run a little bit more pace and space style, style offense. Um, I just think that that's what makes basketball like a beautiful game is just how, how fast it can be played, how creative the players can be. Um, and then once you kind of get that established, then you can start changing speeds and, and changing the pace of the game. But I think it's just the foundation is getting players to play quickly. And then after that, you can make some adjustments. So offensively, I think it is going to be a little bit more fast and loose. Um, may, maybe not possessions in the nineties, like we had a couple times last year, but, uh, but I, but I would like to see you guys pushing the pace a little bit more because I think that gets players playing the best when you can speed up. I think it's harder for players to, I mean, as, as we saw, it's harder to get players to go faster but it's easier to slow them down a little bit. Um, so I think that's just one of our foundational things is just going to be playing with a little bit more pace on the offensive side of the ball, at least. How, how you teach that in practice to get kids playing faster? Cause you know, no knocking bridge, bridge did a great job. Um, I thought bridge was a really good coach. who was there before you, we get, we played them four times in his two years. Obviously they made a little run and they won their section this past year. Um, they were played a slower tempo, right? Monticello was definitely looking to play. And I think he probably would admit as much to you, playing in the 50 possession, maybe 60 possession games. Uh, obviously, where you came from, where you come from in Princeton, we were in the 80s. Sometimes we were firing that thing up there, 93 possessions. Like when you listen to a podcast on like two times speed. Um, what? How are you looking to, or how will you teach these kids who maybe have played a little slower the past few years? Uh, not that it's wrong, it's just different, um, a more up-tempo style. 
it's just it's just making sure that you're emphasizing it consistently um and just that's what i try to do this summer is just really have a focus you know there i there's a million different things you can do as a head coach but you can't constantly be chasing six seven different things all the time so you know you just have to prioritize it you know run a lot of transition stuff in practice try and put different constraints on so that you know we're making one two passes getting a shot up, recognizing when we have space versus when we need to move the ball quickly and just really getting players to buy into that, get the ball up, get the ball up, pass the ball across half court. And, and you almost have to, you have to make it like what we do. You have to be very like strict about it in terms of like, this is what we want to do. And then as they get that, then we can start pulling back and start looking at different scenarios like, okay, when do we go fast now as opposed to we always go fast, but you have to start with, this is what we're doing. So it's just really that, that emphasis that this is what we do right away. Best drill for offense. I don't know if there's like one best drill. I, I really like that. Like we call it Indiana at Princeton. I'm probably going to call it the same thing, <laughs> but uh, just because, you know, stealing it, but it's just that kind of that three on three consistent transition drill where you're getting the ball up and down pressing. So it just gets kids to make fast decisions, rotate defensively really quickly and take quicker shots. I think that really gets kids looking up the floor or trying to kick the ball up. Um, that's, that's one of the favorites that I like to use. Um, I don't know if there's one drill that's the best, but but that's, that's one that we use pretty consistently. Big thing that you brought to, you, or I shouldn't say brought to our program, but really pushed me on um, with skill development was, um, you know, the games-based stuff. We would do some games-based stuff, but you were really an advocate to constantly, like, whatever we wanted to do, let's do it three-on-three and four-on-four. So talk about that philosophy uh, in installing and, and teaching offense. Yeah, and I think that, that's something that changed a lot from, from when I started coaching is it was more, I was really worried about players being able to do it right and not necessarily worried about, could they do it in a game? You know, it's just, as I got older, I was more like, okay, how do we get that transfer to happen? I think a lot of coaches ask themselves that and they just kept coming back to these games-based approaches and, and give kids things to look for. Don't necessarily force them to do something. So, like, all right, here's what we're looking to do in this drill. Or three on three, we'll start with a ball screen, and then we'll play off of it from there, and just see what solutions the guys come up with, and get them going up and down as much as possible, so that they can learn the game, learn how to change speeds with defenders, with reads. Um, you know, and we'd say it all the time. Like, gosh, it feels like we haven't had a a good practice and in years because it just always felt like it was just a mess. But at the same time, it's just, that's how players learn, you know, as they learn from those mistakes. And then as a coach, you get to like teach them how you're going to respond to mistakes. So that's something we talked about a lot too, is mistake response. And, you know, if they're going to make mistakes, we just have to make sure as coaches, we're encouraging that, encourage the next play, get back on defense and just kind of keep the pace of practice flowing up and down. So, um, but it, it took time for me to, to get on board with that as well. Cause it's, as a coach, you want to want some of that control sometimes and make it feel like, like you're actually teaching them something when really it's just kind of, it just makes us feel good. And as opposed to the players learning it. Let's switch to defense. Uh, for us, that was the biggest role that you had. It was, you were, you were pretty much in charge of the defense and could call it and install pretty much whatever you wanted. Uh, so what are your defense philosophies? What are your main teaching points? 
Uh, and what are your goals um, for your defense on a given possession? Yeah. So again, for the conference and section coaches, we'll just be running pack line and we'll have, <laughs> we'll have, we'll have 10 feet inside the paint and, you know, choppy feet, you know, but, it, but in all realist, um, in all seriousness, it's defensively, I think you need to force players to make decisions and it's just, it, it tries to complement the offensive philosophy that we want players making decisions. They're going to make some mistakes but we got to be okay with that. And defensively, it's the same thing. Like we want the offense making as many decisions as possible because eventually they're going to make a mistake. Like at least that's what we're, we're counting on is that they're going to throw us the ball. So defensively, I always like the idea of pressing, having a little bit more tempo. You know, we played pretty quick offensively. So I think we needed to complement that defensively with playing a little bit quicker as well. So I think pressing is a great way to just get guys bought into always looking to be on the offensive, you know, and just that philosophy of, okay, we're on offense. We just don't have the ball right now. So we need to get the ball defensively, you know, whether, you know, sometimes the other team scores quick, you get the ball up and go offensively. Sometimes you're going to get a turnover, a quick score, get back into your defense and press. So I really like the pressing style, um, you know, but it takes time. Like, like we saw it as well with our guys is it takes, time for kids to buy into it because when you've had, you know, two hard conference games and now you got to roll into a practice and the first thing we're doing is pressing right away. Like it kids got to get up for that. And it's just, it's more of a mentality you have to build into kids is like, this is what we do. Um, rotation is something that I, that I really talked about a lot defensively is just being really solid in rotation. You know, you can't take away everything defensively. You just kind of got to pick what you want to do. And I think, playing faster defensively as well, pressuring teams, trying to keep the ball out of the middle. Like those are things that, that are going to make teams successful. It's fun to play, exciting to watch. So that's kind of where I land defensively is just be disruptive as opposed so to sitting back and, and maybe having the perfect scout on a team where like, okay, we're going to do this on this kid and this on this kid, or this kid's a Rondo closeout, this kid's whatever. Um, I think it gives less to, for, of kids to think about so that they can just play free. Coach is sitting here listening to this, uh, never pressed, uh, but as a group that he wants to press with, he or she wants to press with. How would, what would you um, recommend would be, you know, one of the first kind of ways to change that mentality and what would be your, your number one drill you would go to and uh, helping a coach install a man-to-man a -man pressing defense or just that pressure mentality in their program? Um, I mean, you can kind of do that with the Indiana drill. Well, I, I like doing like the buildup kind of progressions with, with pressing. I like doing like two on two, like just starting practice or something like that. Do two on two and press and work on your initial rotation, you know, work on when to trap, sprinting out of traps. And you just, you can't be afraid for the game to pick up pace a little bit. You know, I think that's something as a coach, if you're, you know, not a pressing team or you don't think your kids can press, you have to be okay letting go of some of that control and just understanding that kids are going to make some mistakes. They're going to make a bad read. They're going to go trap a kid right away who still has a dribble available and they're going to pass over it and you're going to be in a disadvantaged situation. You have to be okay with some of those things happening and just trust the kids because they're going to see that too. Like kids, if you're going to press, kids are going to see, okay, well, coach doesn't really trust this because 
because he keeps changing us out of it or he keeps, you know, we keep giving up shots and coaches getting mad about it. You have to be okay giving up some of that control. But as far as drills go, I would, I would say like two on two, three on three, just get kids going up and down and making some of those rotations on their own. And then you can start refining it from there. See, see what kids already know before you just jump in and say, no, we're only doing it A, B, C, this is what we do. So that's, that's the way I, I like to hang, handle it. Um, whether it's right or not, I don't know, but that's what I prefer. I like that buildup. Uh, you know, this past spring, I coached an AAU team. Um, partly is just an opportunity to get some more experience coaching in a different age range. Um, but I also, you know, knew with the chance that you might be gone someday, uh, wanted to work on, you know, having more of a defensive focus in my coaching and teaching defense. And the first thing I did was like, you mentioned that two on two, where you're just pressing two on two, and then you just, you know, kind of know over the top passes, no home run passes and allow guys to work on their rotation. So that's a really good one. Building up three on three, four on four and five on five. Um, last, uh, basketball, you know, or I guess specific question that I have, um, scouting, right. I talked earlier about how much time and effort you put into scouting. Uh, it was, you know, one of the, of many things you did for our program and put us in the spot to, to be successful on any given night. Um, talk about your scouting process, what you're looking for, and then where, and what you think you can do with that information to get a competitive advantage. So that's something that's changed a lot over the years as well. Um, you know, I used to be really focused on, you know, what's everything the team run. And then as I got older, um, and even just with our, how we played offensively and defensively, just look at more, what are teams go to is like, if they, if they need to get a bucket, what are they doing? Like what type of action are they running as opposed to necessarily what specific sets are they running? Like, is this a team that, always goes to a ball screen or do they, you know, throw it into the post and they run some type of split action where they're setting doing like a screen read and trying to get their guy some space. Um, look at just kind of primary actions that they're running. And then when I look at the defensive side of the ball, it's just asking, what are they trying to do? doesn't matter what necessarily defense they're in. Like what is trying to figure out what is the goal of their defense? You know, so are they, are they a team that's really just trying to give up, like they're okay giving up threes. So they're closing out shorts, everyone in the paint. Are they a team that's really getting up and pressuring and they're trying to, they're always trying to trap baseline or something, just understanding what they're trying to do. Cause really at the end of the day, to me, their defensive alignment doesn't matter a whole lot, you know, whether they're man or zone, everyone has a purpose for what defense they play. It's like we press cause we want to pressure teams, be disruptive, turn them over. So looking at, okay, is this team really trying to get after you? Are they trying to keep the ball in the middle? Are they trying to funnel baseline? Just basic things like that. So then you can kind of look at your offense and say, okay, we need to look at these actions a little bit more on our offensive end, as opposed to saying, okay, we have to do this, this, this. Just give kids look for us and say, okay, they're pack line team. So maybe we need to cut the 45 a little bit more on our ball screens to free up that gap so that we have space to drive on our pick and rolls or something, just little things like that. Um, you know, cause we've seen scouting reports too, that are two pages long and every single guy has got a, you know, red, green, or yellow on closeouts and 80 different things to do. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are, maybe I'm underestimating kids and maybe kids do memorize all that stuff and can execute it in the game. But I think just 
being really simple in what you give kids and getting them to focus on what we do as well. I know that sounds kind of contradictory, spend all this time scouting just to tell kids that focus on, on us and being the best version of us. But I think that's what we did to be successful. Scouting wise is as a coach, you want to understand these things, but how can you give kids the most concise information so that they can play our style the best? You know, I think that's what makes scouting effective. Obviously, with the technology that's available, teams uh, are at least, I'm sure, getting their film broken down, if it's by huddle or if it's some of the other technological tools out there. How much emphasis do you use on uh, the breakdowns uh, and maybe shot charts for individual players versus just watching the game uh, at full length? Personally, I like to watch the game at full length. I like to see the flow. I don't necessarily know if that's the best way to do it, but that's what I prefer. Um, when it comes to actual scouting report stuff, I think it's important to look at player shot charts and just see where they're taking the majority of their shots from. Because um, if you get into like a late game situation or something, you kind of want to know as a coach, like, okay, where, where are they probably going to look for this shot for this player? Um, so that's kind of how I do that. I, I am a little bit more holistic with film, though. I like to watch the whole game. What um, so when you go into you know a conference game, and I'm hammering home the scouting question because I think this is definitely one of your biggest strengths that you have as a coach is scouting opponents and finding tendencies. There'd be countless times in our time together, you'd be like, hey, they're going to go to uh, screen the screener or uh, stagger screen into handoff or whatever the action might be. Uh, horns action, whatever team I go to. So what, um, from a team perspective now, what are you looking at um, as a defensive minded coach specifically here? So when the, your opponents on offense, what are you looking for, um, for some of their tendencies and what they like to do on offense? It's, it's really just looking at actions. Like, like what are they trying to do? In, in high school, you don't see a lot of teams running overly complicated false motion or anything like that. It's kind of teams, teams tend to just cut to the chase right away you know, they'll run a pin down or a floppy action into whatever they're going to do, or they'll go to their horn set. So it's really just, again, looking at what, how they're trying to score, you know, do they have a really good ball handler that they're trying to get downhill and draw help so that he can just kick to catch and shoot guys, you know, are they running, you know, a patterned offense or continuity and they're just going to run it until they get, you know, a guy with a clean look on the roll so that he can score. Um, just little things like that. Like what is their primary way they like to score? And then just trying to get your players to understand like, okay, so we know this is their primary way they like to score. How do we adjust our positioning within what we do? I think that's, that's the most important thing for me in scouting is just trying to always stay within what you do as your defensive or offensive identity. And then how can you tweak that a little bit to try and take away what the other team is trying to do? How much practice time do you plan that you that you're that you will allocate uh, for scouting and game prep? Uh, for your obviously year one, you're trying to install all of your new, your stuff and have your fingerprints on offense and defense. So, how much time do you envision uh, dedicating to scout and film work uh, for your team? Um, film, I would like to do, you know, a couple times a week, just like briefly. Film is something I think that you can definitely overdo as well as a coach. Um, we ran into it too. Like it's just high school kids only have so much attention, you know, they're, they're, 
their cups are already pretty full by the time they get to you at basketball practice at the end of the day, they've been sitting through class. So I think it's just got to be really concise. You know, you can look at just highlight a couple of things like, all right, here's a couple of go-tos for this team, or you can clip up some film and say, Hey, watch this on your own time. Here's some of their sets if you're interested, or here's some of their baseline stuff. But for the most part, I think film highlight what we do well, again, working on that identity piece. And then within practice, um, scouting wise too, is something I think, again, is best done with just small doses. Like I know some coaches do it completely differently and that, and that's great. Some people like to spend the last half hour on, okay, let's go over their top three sets, top two inbounds plays, whatever. Um, and that's fine. I think that that scouting as well, it's just, it's important to focus on us, like focus on what we need to do well in the game to be successful and then see what those small adjustments are going to be for how we're going to defend something. Or like you said, pick and roll coverage, like, okay, what are, what's our go-to coverage? What's our counter coverage? Something like that. Just little things so that they know, okay, this is all I have to worry about. And then just, they can focus on playing their best version of our basketball. You mentioned being an assistant coach for 10 years, obviously had a lot of success to last four as an assistant coach uh, with us in Princeton. Uh, what is your advice now that you've gotten a head coaching job? Uh, you got your first, you get to be the, to get to sit at the head chair on the bench here this year, but what's your advice for any assistant coach uh, that's listening on how they can be beneficial to the, to the program that they're currently in and also have an impact on uh, the team that they're coaching? I think just reach out to people. That was probably the one thing that, that caught me the most off guard, I guess, and it shouldn't have, but just how many coaches were excited for me that I necessarily didn't even talk to and just people that are willing to help and answer emails. So um, yeah, if you're a new coach and you have questions, just reach out to coaches in your conference and your section, you know, anyone that you, you might have a connection with, or even if you don't, just, if you have a question on, okay, what do you guys do in the off season? Just send an email and people have been more than happy to provide information or talk to me. So, um, use your resources, you know, you don't have to, it can be lonely coaching, so you, you don't have to go it alone. So we have a really strong basketball community in Minnesota. So reach out to those other coaches. So um, I, I'm not surprised you didn't understand my question because I uh, oftentimes in our coaching relationship together, I would send you a, a play that made no sense or have some interpretation of film that we watched it didn't make sense. That was good. I mean, as a new head coach, but I guess my question rephrase that. So someone who's currently an assistant coach for this upcoming season, what advice mm. would you give someone who's a currently, sorry, it's my fault. That's on the host of the question isn't clear enough. What's, uh, um, what's advice for a uh, current assistant coach as they can help their team this year? Current assistant coach, um, I think the biggest thing you can do is, is pick your spots. I think that's something that is really important. Like head coaches, they have so much going on in terms of, you know, pregame, decision-making in-game, like pick your spots of when you're going to suggest something, you know, and understand that not all, not all suggestions are great. Um, you know, even if you have a good relationship with that head coach, pick your spots. Like if you have one thing that you think would be really beneficial or two things, throw them out there. But at the same time, you know, it, I think that gets a little bit overwhelming for that coach, you know, if you're just always like suggesting, 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 Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. What about this? I think you just got to really know, know when to kind of interject. And I think I try to do that as much as possible. You know, like there's obviously a million different things you want to do or could do, but just 
again, focus on what your team wants to do and be supportive of your head coach and pick your spots. Dylan, you were a, a phenomenal assistant coach. I couldn't be more proud. Uh, I know you're going to do amazing at Monticello. Uh, they're in great hands with their program. Uh, obviously, it's a bummer that we lost you and also a bummer that we got to go against each, our, each other two or three times a year, but I couldn't be as a friend, as someone who's uh, worked close with you for eight years now. Uh, super excited for you. Any parting words here uh, or any advice for coaches listening before we wrap up? Nope. Keep getting one a little bit better each day. You know, keep learning. That's what I'm trying to do. So, and I'll do a whole bunch more learning this year as I kind of go through my growing pains as a head coach. So appreciate all the years of Princeton. So it was, it was definitely hard to leave, but yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the court this year. Coach Nauman, thanks for uh, joining the podcast today. Uh, best of luck this season. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Brett.